I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Coming up after the news, it's Philosophy Talk. Today, the philosophy of Arthur Schopenhauer. Oh, God, John, I was in such a good mood, and we're going to talk about that grouch. I mean, he's the one who says that our will serves no higher purpose, that the world is nothing but a shared illusion, that life is full of misery. Uplifting stuff, man. Well, it may not be uplifting, but it's probably pretty accurate. Schopenhauer is one of my favorite philosophers, as well of, as well as being one of the great grouches of the history of philosophy. His writing is lively and even funny at times, Ken. Well, that's true, and according to our guest, Irv Yalom, the author of The Schopenhauer Cure, we can even learn a lot about how to live our lives from this uh, great curmudgeon. Yeah, you can learn to be a little more grouchy in the next hour. More about Schopenhauer when Philosophy Talk continues after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 FM, KALW in San Francisco's, San Francisco's oldest, most innovative, by far coolest radio station. Continuing conversations that begin in that hotbed of philosophy and curmudgeon-like grouchiness, Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Speak for yourself. I'm not a curmudgeon-like grouch, but our topic today is a curmudgeon-like grouch and a great philosopher, just like you, John, a curmudgeon but a great philosopher, Schopenhauer. I know you like Schopenhauer. Well, what, what do you like so much about Schopenhauer? Well, you know, Schopenhauer's been uh, one of my favorite philosophers at two different phases in my life. When I was a teenager, I read Will Durant's Story of Philosophy, a, a great book for teenagers to read. And I was really attracted to this curmudgeon with his very pessimistic view of life. It fit my teenage angst and uh, so forth and so on. And I didn't pay too much attention to Schopenhauer for a long time. And I read Irv Yalom's book, The Schopenhauer Cure. I've been digging into Schopenhauer since then. Great philosopher. Yeah, I agree he's a great philosopher. He's got, now, he says he's got this, his major work is the world as will and idea. Some people translate that will and representation. But the idea part, I kind of understand that, that he gets from Kant. You know, what is the world? You might think it's something independent of us, but Kant says, no, it's something entirely dependent on, on us. It's actually our creation, our idea, our representation. And it has no independent, at least the world that we experience and know has no independent existence. What, where, where does the will part come from, John? Well, well, what you say is quite right. Schopenhauer, uh, like the all the Germans influenced by Kant, but also like the later empiricists, uh, Barclay and Hume, saw the world that we, the ordinary world, the world of objects extended in space and time, things, deaths, other people's bodies, as ideas, as basically mental. You might think of it as a shared illusion, or you might say, well, it's not really an illusion because it's shared, but at any rate, basically mental. So the world as idea was not a terribly original contribution of Schopenhauer's. But Kant, for example, thought that the cause of, of, of this uh, phenomenal world, this world as idea, was some noumenal thing that we couldn't know the nature of. Schopenhauer thought we could know the nature of it because we were part of it. We were part of will, endeavor, blind force, and that's the nature of nature. That's the underlying essence of everything. So the world is will and idea. It's kind of a strange, it's, it's an interesting idea, but it's kind of a jarring idea in some ways because his notion of will doesn't just cover human will, but the blind forces of impersonal nature. So, example, gravity operating is an expression of this this will, which is the thing in itself. But you know what I, what, what I wonder? Where does the grouchiness come from? I mean, wh why does that give rise to grouchiness? Well, that's a good question because you might think Hume's philosophy and 
some ways isn't so different from Schopenhauer's, but he wasn't a grouch at all. He, he enjoyed life. But Schopenhauer was also influenced by uh, Indian philosophy, by Eastern philosophy. He was one of the first great exponents of that in the Western tradition. And he saw that this will took the form of cycles of desire, disappointment, and boredom. And that the idea of true happiness as being a release from this appealed to him greatly. And maybe that's not really grouchiness, but it certainly comes across yeah. as grouchiness. And he also didn't seem to like most other people whom he called bipeds. Yeah. In a <laughs> yeah. So the nature, the will, this kind of impersonal will, just gives rise to incessant striving and disappointment and boredom in us. And we got to get, we got to get out of it. This was a very, in some ways, influential doctrine. I mean, when, when once people started paying attention to it, it had a great influence on, on lots of artists. And uh, our roving philosophical. Uh, Reporter Amy Standen explored some of uh, Schopenhauer's influence. Uh, she takes us to the opera. In the final scene of the Richard Wagner opera, Tristan and Isolde, Isolde, on the brink of death herself, holds the body of her dying lover in her arms. This is tragic music, but it's also triumphant. For these two doomed lovers, death is the only way out of their excruciating desire for each other. To drown, to founder, unconscious, sings Isolde, utmost rapture. Nietzsche has this wonderful metaphor where he says that in Schopenhauer, music becomes a telephone from the beyond, sort of directly tapping in to the inner essence of the metaphysical world or something like that. Lanier Anderson is a professor of philosophy at Stanford University. Not just that it expresses striving in the way that people ordinarily experience it, it expresses this particular striving that so it's not just our striving, but the striving of everything. Wagner was very much under the influence of Schopenhauer when he wrote Tristan and Isolde. He'd read Schopenhauer's theory that life is nothing but a pendulum, swinging between the pain of unfulfilled desire and boredom. Once we fulfill our desires, then we are sated, and the striving is quieted momentarily, but we immediately sink into boredom. So the two basic options for uh, human life are pain and boredom. It's really a very deeply pessimistic vision. What's at the end of it is nothingness. Because existence is so terrible, the only thing that would be good is to get out of it. As long as you're alive, because willing is your ultimate inner nature, there's still going to be that little bit of desire left. And the only way to have things go really well is to eliminate that. And by eliminating that, you also eliminate yourself. In Schopenhauer, there is no God. And the world is terrible. The world is not a happy place that is the product of a fundamentally good supreme being. The world is something that ought not to exist. Schopenhauer may be the most pessimistic of philosophers, but he doesn't always sound like it. Schopenhauer's ire against the world, his indignance against how unjust everything is, that very thing kept seducing him back to enjoyment about life. It's clear when you read his books that he had a great time sitting down at his desk and coming up with new ways to explain how really rotten everything is. <laughs> You could say the same thing about Wagner. He may have accepted Schopenhauer's belief that life is full of pain and suffering, but that didn't stop him from composing an 18-hour opera, carrying on an affair with the wife of his benefactor, driving himself into bankruptcy. 
Just because life is terrible doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Yeah, that's another thing Nietzsche says about him. He says, yeah, yeah, you think Schopenhauer's a pessimist, but in reality, he played the flute every day after dinner. <laughs> For Philosophy Talk, this is Amy Standen. Want to hear more? You can hear the rest of the program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or, for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.